It's 12.09, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Good to be back from opening day. Always a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed our coverage. It's just a blast to be in the dugout for a couple hours, getting to talk to the owner and um, all the different players. Just It's just a lot of fun for me. Game didn't turn out that great, but I'm sure everybody had a lot of fun. We actually, today, we're launching a very, very special promotion. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Your opportunity to win tickets to see the Brewers play the Florida Marlins on April 21st, as well as some other great stuff as well. Like I say, I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But right now, we are joined by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, how are you doing? I, I'm doing well. A um, lot of stuff going on. I I want to start with um, one of the reasons you couldn't join me at Insight last week was you, you were on the road. You had a very exciting trip, and I, I want to talk to you a little bit about where you were. Yeah, we, we went to uh, China. South Korea and actually stepped in North Korea as in the Blue House and crossed the line, stood next to uh, the North Korean guards in their Taekwondo uh, pose. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, just, it's an absolute surreal experience. It's just bizarre. Well, but, uh, no, we primarily went to China to understand their perspective on a host of issues. Uh, you know, their maintenance of the sanctions against North Korea, uh, our, our trade relations, which is uh, obviously in the Topic, so it's a very interesting trip. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, did you come away with an understanding that that the China wants to be more cooperative on trade issues, or are we looking at a full scale trade war? What's interesting, Jeff, is the majority of Chinese officials I talked to uh, told me that they really don't want a trade surplus with the U.S. Uh, there's a certain level of structural imbalance right now, just based on the development of their economy. You know, they've got 1.4 billion people. I'd, I'd much rather look at China's 1.4 billion person market potential than, uh, you know, an adversary. And I think uh, they're looking for a relationship that's a win-win type of op- opportunity as well. Uh, they're, they're not, again, they are a proud nation, 5,000-year uh, history at least. Uh, they were the world's largest economy when our nation was founded. Uh, so, so they've got a lot of, lot of pride, and they're not going to uh, be humiliated or lose face. I think we need to kind of recognize that in, in our dealings with them as well. But no doubt about it, they've engaged in trade abuses, and I think uh, President Trump is absolutely correct in calling them on it in terms of the, the Section 301 uh, investigation he conducted and the conclusions. And uh, you just need to work with them, uh, I think, the right way. Are you optimistic that something can, in fact, get done? I am, because first of all, it's the top priority is to get their complete cooperation on North Korea. Uh, President Xi cannot be pleased with uh, Kim Jong-un right now. Uh, he did some missile tests while President Xi was hosting the G20 in China, uh, conducted nuclear blasts when he was host- hosting the, the ASEAN countries. Um, they recognized that uh, a dangerous North Korea that could result in proliferation of nuclear uh, technology or in in East Asia is not good for them. So they've been they've been enforcing the sanctions. We met with defectors from North Korea, fully understanding how, how hard those sanctions are on North Korean people. But they were begging us to maintain those sanctions is really their only hope of uh, shedding the, the oppression from Kim Jong Un. So it's you know pre- President Trump's maximum pressure campaign has certainly brought Kim Jong Un to the negotiating table. Uh, we need China's complete involvement, and we obviously need China to be a more responsible actor when it comes to trade relations as well. 
to, to that point, when when you were in South Korea, what was the what was the purpose of that uh, aspect of the trip? Well, we actually saw the North Korean border uh, with China as well as South Korea. We we were in the DMZ. We were in the Joint Security Area in the Blue House where the negotiations occur. You know, we actually crossed the line over into North Korea. It was really to assess the situation. We talked to the, uh, the Prime Minister of, uh, of of Korea and no, the Premier. And again, just trying to get their perspective on on how they view things and. They seem pretty rock solid too in terms of maintenance and sanctions to try and bring Kim Jong Un to the negotiating table in good faith. Senator, let, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, you, you were actually on our air a little bit earlier today talking about uh, DACA. You know, President Trump declaring it, it pretty much you know dead in the water. You really do want to see something. You hope something's going to get done in this area, don't you? It, it's not a good situation where we have literally millions of people in this country illegally living in the shadows. It's just not a good situation, but I completely agree that if we're going to fix that, at the same time, we need to fix our horribly broken legal immigration system. And there's no better example right now than that caravan coming from Central America. So we can build all the walls that completely keep people out in the walled areas, but wherever we have a gate, wherever there's a port of entry, because of our broken legal system, people can just walk right up to that gate, right up to that, those ports of entry, say, I have a credible fear of persecution. We let them in, we process them, we disperse them, and they don't, you know, we, we never send them home because our legal system is so broken. Democrats need to acknowledge that and work with us in good, fix, in good faith to fix both the whole issue of dreamers as well as our horribly broken legal immigration system. Um, I, I don't know if you heard it. Today, President Trump was talking about potentially using the U.S. military to help guard the U.S.-Mexican border to perhaps try to shut off exactly what you were talking about, people coming to the border illegally, disappearing, never showing up for court. Um, what, what, do you, what is your impression of using the military for that purpose? Well, I don't think it's necessary because, again, let me, let me emphasize, our primary problem with our unsecured border, well, the root cause is our insatiable demand for drugs, which has given rise to drug cartels. They're also the human traffickers. But the fact that we have laws on the book where people can walk right up to our ports of entry, say, I have a credible fear of persecution, and we, we, we bring them in. We don't send them back. We, we have no capability. Our laws prevent us from bringing an unaccompanied child and sending them in a humane fashion right back to Central America. We need to close those loopholes. We need to fix those laws. Otherwise, no amount of border security, no amount of barrier fencing is going to is going to solve the problem because we just let them in. And I've been down the border. I've I've listened to border patrol people tell me how let's say a group of maybe hundred families and, and uncompanied children get across Rio Grande, set campfires so that they're noticed, and literally complain to the border patrol that it took them more than an hour to to get to them to again apprehend them process them, and then disperse them around America. That, that's what our law does right now. That's what needs to be fixed. Senator, let, let's switch gears. You were on Meet the Press um, over the weekend, and one of the, the things that came out of it was you said that you thought that uh, Robert Mueller was perhaps appointed too soon. What did you mean by that? I've been very consistent along those lines. I believe in this case, whether it's the Clinton email scandal, the FBI investigation of it, those same investigators moving over to the Russian investigation. I think the public has a right to know. The public disclosure is, you know, by far the the most important aspect of these investigations. And the problem with special uh, counsels 
is that's a criminal investigation. Now, you know, Jeff, you're a lawyer. Criminal investigation, by and large, should occur completely confidentially. If there are no charges brought, nothing ever comes to light. That's not, I think, the primary uh, outcome that we need from these investigations. The public needs to know what happened to Clinton's email investigation. What happened with the FBI's investigation of that? What happened in terms of Russia's interference? And that's a congressional oversight that provides the greatest public exposure. Next to that is the inspections and investigations by the Office of Inspector General, which makes some of its findings public. The reason you need special counsels and prosecutors is sometimes you need their ability to impanel grand juries, to compel testimony. So you really need all three working together. But the minute you appoint a special counsel, uh, it gets, becomes very difficult for Congress and sometimes even the Office of Inspector General to obtain the information because you have an active criminal investigation. So it, it hampers that ability for the public to, in, in the end, find out what happened. Just so we're clear, though, even even if perhaps the appointment was premature, you, you have not called for Robert Mueller to be replaced or to step down. No, the only thing I've said is he is the wrong person because of conflict of interest to be investigating the FBI's investigation. And of course, we're seeing with Andrew McCabe uh, kind of retiring ahead of the posse. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the Office of Special General's report on, on his activities. But we, we're seeing the text of Lisa Page and, and Peter Strzok. There's some, there's some real possible corruption at the highest levels of the FBI, and a former director of the FBI is the wrong person to be investigating that. But, uh, no, he should complete his work. I would have preferred to see the process play out, starting with the House and Senate Intel- Intelligence Committee, completing their work, issuing their report, and then, based on their findings, if the special counsel was required, you know, then appoint. It just, it just truncated the process, and, again, the, the What's going to suffer is public disclosure. Um, Senator, it's been interesting. Today is, of course, an election day in in Wisconsin. And, and I'm not sure in my memory I can ever recall a state Supreme Court race attracting as much attention from out-of-state politicians, um, whether it's you know Eric Holder, former Attorney General of the United States, to one of your colleagues, Cory Booker, to you know whatever, all, all these people wanting to play in the Wisconsin Supreme Court race between Rebecca Dallet, a Milwaukee County Circuit Judge, and Mike Skranek, who is the uh, Sauk County Circuit Judge, both running for state Supreme Court. Well, the first thing I should tell your listeners is get out and vote. Uh, we have to elect Michael Skranek so Skranek so that we can maintain the legislative reforms that we've accomplished over the last seven years. The reason you see this kind of effort from the left is their ideology, their policies, they don't win at the, at the, uh, in the ballot box, and they can't be passed through legislators. They're just simply unpopular. So the left realizes the only way to enact their policies is by judicial fiat. That's why they love judicial activists. Conservatives, we actually want judges, people that, as as, as Justice Gorsuch said, judges that apply the law rather than alter it. And we have a classic example of that. With the, you know, Mike Skrenek would apply the law. Uh, his opponent, my concern would be she'd be a judicial activist and she would be altering the law according to her whims. I, I do think it is extremely interesting that the, the left, not only just in Wisconsin, but, but a lot of the, the far left in this country has decided that they want to bring out the, the big guns to try to, again, make make endorsements showing that maybe this isn't a local race or a statewide race, that, that obviously some people nationally are taking a look at the Wisconsin Supreme Court. 
I think Wisconsin has been kind of a thorn in liberal side. I mean, they, they just view this as their state. And, you know, with our success since 2010, I want a Senate seat that nobody thought I could win. Uh, they don't like the fact that, you know, to a great extent, we've turned Wisconsin red, and they would like to, they would like to turn the clock back. They would like to defeat those reforms that Governor Walker and the state legislature have enacted. And so this is, this is sort of a, a test case for them. They'd like to maintain their momentum. The resist movement is strong. It's been pretty successful, and that's why, again, I'm coming on your show primarily begging your Republicans, conservatives, get out, get your family, your friends, your neighbors, uh, get out there before the polls close. Let's make sure that we maintain a conservative uh, majority in the Wisconsin Supreme Court. It's crucial. United States Senator Ron Johnson, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. I do appreciate your time. Have a great day. Okay, take care. That's uh, Senator Ron Johnson talking about his trip to China, talking about his trip to Korea, and uh, DACA and a ringing endorsement. There, it, today is an election day, and I understand that there was like some snow in the northern part of the state, and we, we have these forecasts for more snow later on down around here. It appears that that might be kind of petering out, but but who knows? Polls are open today. This has the potential to be a low turnout election. The statewide race that all of us who live in the state of Wisconsin can vote for is the election between the conservative candidate, Mike Skranek, and the liberal candidate, Rebecca Dallet. Um, liberals think they're going to pick up the seat. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, it, it's going to be a test of enthusiasm gap. It's going to be a test of get out the vote efforts. This race has attracted a lot of attention, particularly from the national left. You have, like I say, all sorts of players coming in, and I think Senator Johnson is on to something. Wisconsin has been a thorn in the side for the left since Scott Walker's election, since Act 10, since the successful putting down of the effort to recall him, his reelection in 2014, and this is viewed as a step here, we can kind of thwart the conservative agenda by trying to take back the Wisconsin or take over the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Will it work? I guess we're going to have to wait until after the polls close at 8 o'clock tonight to see. 1223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Baseball is back. And I want to send you to Miller Park. Be listening today. During the 2 o'clock hour of the program, sometime between 2 and 3, if you hear us play the Brewers theme song, do we have that queued up? Come see what's brewing, the Milwaukee Brewers. All right, between 2 and 3, today and several days moving forward, if you hear the Brewers theme song, Come See What's Brewing, and you are the correct caller, you can win a four-pack of tickets to an upcoming game. Actually, the game we're featuring this week is the April 21st, Saturday, against the Florida Marlins. You also get a $50 gift card courtesy of our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. So be listening during the 2 o'clock hour. When you hear that theme song, if you are the right caller, you will, um, again, win a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Marlins and a $50 gift card courtesy of our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. All right, we are right in the middle of our three big things. When we come back, we're going to talk about the election. Stick around. It's 1227. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Every hit, every pitch, every chance for the Brewers to put a win in the standings. Check out the full schedule 
on the site for your brewer's flagship, WTMJ.com. Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk about the elections, both local and, of course, the statewide race. Senator Ron Johnson on the program just a couple minutes ago urging people to get out and vote for the conservative candidate for the Supreme Court. We're also going to talk about what impact the weather could have on what is going to be a low turnout election. 1234, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, today is Election Day. There are two races that everybody gets to vote for, or actually a referendum question, a race. The first race is the election between for the state Supreme Court. Right now, the, the makeup is five judicial confer- conservatives, two liberal activists. Um, this race is um, actually one of the two candidates has decided to make this a very political race and been going around campaigning on how she doesn't like Act 10 and how she's um, encouraging, hey, this is the year we can beat Scott Walker and doing fundraisers in San Francisco, talking about how, well, Wisconsin values are really San Francisco values, except we've lost our way. Um, that is Rebecca Dallet. The conservative candidate is Mike Skrenick. Um, we had Skrenick at Insight. You had an opportunity to hear my interview with him. Um, liberals are clearly engaged. You have had a number of outside people deciding, just like with Act 10 and Capital Chaos, that they want to play in this race, whether it's Eric Holder or the very liberal Cory Booker who wants to be president. Um, you've had people wanting to play in this race, deciding, okay, this is our opportunity to try to take back a seat on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And it is interesting that the national liberals are targeting this particular race. Today is the day the voters get to decide. Now, the interesting dynamic of what is going on here, of course, is that you have this winter storm that, that's moving through the, the area. It was predicted to start last night, and it, it, it really hasn't. And I think some of the forecasts, I mean, I don't know what it's going to be. And I'm, I don't get the sense that the weather folks are necessarily actually positive about what it's going to be as well. But the further north you get, the more intense the storm is going to be. It's a low um, low turnout election to begin with. So the question is going to be, you know, are people actually going to get out and vote? Or are they going to say, well, what do I care? The other statewide question is a referendum as to whether the state treasurer's office should be eliminated. I voted yes for that one. There are different local races, some school board, I'm sorry, some school referendums. And, of course, in Milwaukee County, you have county supervisors on the ballot. And the interesting dynamic is County Executive Chris Abley spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, over half a million dollars this election alone, in an effort to try to take out a handful of his opponents on the county board. If you're a regular listener of this program, you know that I have no love loss for the county board, but it does kind of bother me that you have... I don't know, some rich guy with daddy's money who's decided to send this message that if you don't rubber stamp the things I want, parking meters at at the parks and a $60 wheel tax, you better watch it or I'm going to spend tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to take you out as you run for a part-time job that pays 24 grand. Don't don't get me wrong. I am not arguing that county supervisors should make more than 24 grand. It should be, in my opinion, a part-time job. But it is interesting that you've got the Milwaukee County executive who's, uh, again, using his personal wealth to try to, again, send a message and take out his political opponents. Will it work? I don't know. All right. I want to open up the phone lines. One segment. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, the Supreme Court 
is perhaps, I, I think that's, that's the banner race, and people are watching it nationally. There, there's no question about it. I think the conventional wisdom is it is going to be a close election. I really have, I have no idea, and I don't know what the turnout is going to be. So let me ask you this. Did you vote, or do you intend to vote today? Or is this one that you're just going to let go by the wayside and sit it out? Um, a lot of times there is incredible intensity. One of the things I know conservatives have been looking at over the course of the last year has been what we describe as the enthusiasm gap. That is, is this going to be an election cycle where the Democrats, where the left, is much more motivated to get out and vote than our conservatives? So let's tee this up. Are you voting today? And what was the race that got you out to vote? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can, um, bad weather, low turnout, election, early spring. I don't have a sense uh, of how motivated people are to vote, but did you get out to vote and why? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on and the only reason not to be on the line is that you should be out voting. 414-799-1620 is the number. 1239, Jeff Wagner, back with your calls in just a moment. Stay informed on your drive home. We're following breaking news this afternoon. Bumper to bumper out there right now. It's very slow. Wisconsin's radio station, WTMJ. How would you like to be an owner of a jewelry store? Kessler's Diamonds is an employee-owned company, and we're about to open a new location. Are you the leader we're looking for? I'm Richard Kessler. Does it make you happy to make other people happy? Are you a problem solver? Would you like to wake up every morning knowing that you're going to help a lot of people find joy today? At Kessler's Diamonds, a leader is someone who knows the right thing to do and has the courage to do it. Keep in mind, Kessler's is owned by its employees. So let me ask you this. Are you a good enough leader that you could be an owner who leads other owners? Don't worry you don't know anything about diamonds. We can teach you about diamonds. But the leader we're looking for isn't looking for a job. Did someone pop into your head just now? Do you know who we're looking for? Give that person a call. Send them an email. Tell them to walk into Kessler's Diamonds and say to the person who greets them, I think I want to work here. Be a leader at Kessler's. Be an owner. 1242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It is election day. One of the big questions is how motivated are people to get out and vote, especially since um, there, there's winter weather or there, it's, it's April 3rd. It's April 3rd. Yesterday at opening day, I'm talking to all these baseball players and a bunch of young guys. And, and I want to say the vast, there's a couple, one was from Cincinnati, I remember, but most of them are from Florida or California or Arizona or, or Mississippi. And they're like, oh my gosh, we're going to get X amount of snow. Um, but you've got bad weather, uh, at least among parts of the state. Um, you've got forecasts of winter weather advisories, even though it's April 3rd. Um, how motivated are people to get out and vote? I know the left thinks that this is the opportunity that conservatives are going to stay home. 414-799-1620. Um, let's start with Steve in Bayview. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how you doing? Very well, thank you. You voting today? Um, as you were announcing uh, your... Uh Asking people to tell you why they wanted to come and vote, I was putting on my jacket <laughs> and uh, reaching for the turn off the radio to uh, go and vote. <laughs> but I decided it was important enough for me to tell you why I'm making certain I go and vote okay. before I left. Sure. And uh, it is the 
uh, it is the um, uh, state super, you know, uh, Supreme Court race, race uh, where uh, we have a smoke and mirrors uh, liberal who bends and twists everything to, to meet her specific needs at the specific time she needs uh, versus someone who maybe doesn't have it or hasn't had it 100 percent right all the time, but he's the lesser of two evils. Mm-hmm. And it's sad omen to say that we have to vote for people who are the less, uh, yeah. are the lesser evil. Well, I think, so let me, let me just say this. And one of the things, as I've talked about the Supreme Court race, and by lesser of two evils, I guess I'm not sure exactly what you mean. There, there's a lot of outside money and groups that are attacking both of their sentencing records. Dallet did this, and, you know, Skrennick did this. I, I, I've refrained from that because the truth is, the, the truth is, sometimes you see judges that have a pattern of getting it wrong. You, you you just do. And there's some in Milwaukee County that do it. I've always thought it's unfair to you know cherry pick one or two sentencing cases where you have a judge that follows the recommendation of the DA's office, and that one breaks bad, and then automatically draw all sorts of conclusions um, from that. That's why I've, I've tried to restrain from focusing on just one, any one particular case. But I do think the state Supreme Court race is about philosophy. There, there, there's no question. You, you have two judges that come with completely and totally different philosophies. Let's talk to Craig in Milwaukee. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Thank you for the chance sure. to comment. I, I uh, went in and voted this morning downtown at the library and was number four uh, to vote. And then my wife, I, I took her around two hours later. And she was number 13. So not many voters uh, this morning, which is, to me, very disappointing. It, it is. And it's why it, it's why I, I love voting in these low turnout elections, because your, your vote matters even more, because so many people, unfortunately, decide to, to stay home. So that's why it's even more important uh, if you feel strongly about a particular candidate or a question or whatever. It's, it's even more important to get out and vote. Yeah. No, thanks for the call. So that's the I mean, I, I think that's, you know, one of the things that you end up seeing. It is going to be low turnout. And if you've got bad weather in certain areas, it makes it even more likely that the turnout's going to be low, because if you've got somebody, that's, well, I'm not sure if I really should care about this race or not. And it's kind of crummy outside here. I'll just put on days of our lives or whatever. Well, OK, my message is, you know, get out and, and, and vote. This is one of the significant Things that is out there. A number of people are asking me. Um, apparently, in in Milwaukee County, sir, in Milwaukee County, there's a number of judges who I think are it's all uncontested, not positive, who are on the ballot. And, and there's there's a judge named Jeffrey Wagner. People say, "Is that you?" No, no, that's that's me. He's different. Um, he's a very nice guy. We've been friends for a number of years. I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office. He was in the City Attorney's Office. But no, the Jeffrey Wagner on the ballot in Milwaukee County for judge is not. Is not me. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. John in Wauwatosa. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me. Sure. I, I voted this morning for Strena, and uh, the issue again wasn't like you said. I agree with you. It's not about those ads, about their voting records on you know, child molest. Because I don't believe any of that stuff for either side. Right. Um, I voted for Strena because of the act, uh, the political activist tenor of the Dallas uh, yeah. campaign. And to tell you the truth, I did not vote for Trump. I didn't vote for Hillary either. I vote every presidential election since I was 18, except for this one. And uh, my son, who's a millennial, voted for Hillary. He even manned the phone for Hillary. And he's voting for Skrennick also for the same reason, because 
he saw that uh, Dallas was an ideological uh, activist judge that wasn't going to enforce laws. He really has a problem with judges who are like that. And so he's voting for Skrennick also. Well, you know, know, it's been interesting to me, John, the way this Supreme Court campaign has played out in a different way than I, I think any Supreme Court ca- can- campaign I can remember. Look, I mean, okay. uh, you've had conservative and liberals, but here you've had, and, and I think part of it was you had this three-way primary, and you had this kind of whacked-out Madison liberal that was running, saying, elect me, I really, elect me, I don't care what the law is, I'm going to, you know, do everything I can to, you know, just re- turn turn back everything yeah. Scott Walker did. I think that forced Dallet to go way to the left so she's in San Francisco, for God's sake, you know, saying, this is our chance. We can beat Scott Walker. We can beat Paul Ryan. She's running for the state Supreme Court. If she wants to run for governor, go with God, run for governor. But that's not what the role of a state Supreme Court justice is. Sure. I, I totally agree. Yeah. No, thank, and, and that's what's. I mean, thank, thanks for calling. And again, I, I mean, I understand that we've always had, look, look you have conservatives that are running against liberals. That's always what the choice has been. But but this year, I think there has been this concentrated and concerted effort out there that you have people thinking, all right, there, there's Trump fatigue. The conservatives are disillusioned. This is the chance to just stop pretending that you are what you are. And let's let's bring in Cory Booker and let's bring in the Eric Holders of the world. And, and let's let's base this on this campaign of here. We're going to stand up to the evil Republicans in the legislature. Well, I, I, I don't want that in a Supreme Court justice. I want a Supreme Court justice who is going to follow the law, not go with a particular agenda and say, well, I don't like Act 10, so I'm going to vote to reverse it. Or this here, help me out. Give me money. This is the year. And I don't know if she asked for money. It was a fundraiser. But, you know, th- this is the year where we can we can really we, we can beat Scott Walker. Really? OK, that that's. That's the Supreme Court, 414-799-1620. Mike in West Bend. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. Okay, so have you voted? Yeah, I voted uh, about 11 o'clock. I was number 354. took about 40 to 45 minutes. Really? It was very, very heavy. Um, The poll workers, um, I asked them, and they said, yeah, this is extremely heavy. Huh. In fact, I re- I remember it. Um, the only time I was heavier is during the uh, presidential election, huh. based on how long the line is and where it curves. Right. Is it so? You you voted in West Bend proper? Yes. Okay. Yes. What's the weather like up there now? Is it snowing? Um. No. Okay. No, it stopped. It was, it's kind of on and off. Okay. Extremely light. Got it. Right now, yeah. nothing right now that would discourage people. No heavy snows or something like that right that's, now. That's correct. Right. Huh. Well, that's, I mean, th- thanks for call. That That is interesting. Um, now, part of it could be, part of the reason for some of the longer wait times is if there's a heavier turnout in a particular area, it might be that they caught the poll workers by surprise because, you know, typically, you know, you, you have these projections and that that affects how many people that you're going to bring in and things like that. So it could have been a surprise there. 414-799-1620. Tell you what, let's take a, we've got a huge response to this segment. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more in just a minute. It is election day. And I just want to remind everybody, get out and vote. This is one of those opportunities you have on low election, on low turnout days to really have your vote count even more than it might typically. Um, 1252, Jeff Wagner, stick around. 
1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Today is Election Day, and I, I think that might come as a surprise to some people. Um, this is the day for nonpartisan elections, but of course, that's not the way the Supreme Court race has played out. I, I think, in, in particular, the liberal candidate, Rebecca Dallet, has decided to, to make this partisan. I mean, she's talking about, we can beat Scott Walker. Well, okay, if she could beat Scott Walker, she shouldn't be running for state Supreme Court. She should be running to beat Scott Walker in November. Everett in Menominee Falls. Everett, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. I just talked to your screener, and we had our morning chuckle at the at our household here. Uh, my, I just got back from voting, and it was we were listening to TMJ, and my <laughs> wife, who's got terminal cancer, uh, she with the chemo and all, she can't handle going outside the damp weather, etc., for obvious reasons. She said, okay, to talk me into your shame, me into it, let's go, Everett, let's hop in the car and go vote. So I'm about to pick her up to vote. Oh, so. Okay, so so look, for, first of all, um, I, I, Everett, I know what you and your wife are going through, and you have my deepest sympathy, but but she feels so strongly about this. I mean, she's she's dealing with this, with this terrible illness, and she's going to get out, and she's going to go out today and vote. Absolutely, she is. She okay, is. hearing that, nobody else has an excuse not to vote. <laughs> nobody has an excuse not to vote. That's kind of what I suggested to her. I hope it just probably cost uh, 20 other people to say, hey, let's get out. If she can do it, let's do it. So. A- a- absolutely. Everett, that, that's it. You, you you, and your wife are, are my heroes, and please um, give, give her my very best. I, I know. Thank you very much. I, I, know, I know what you're going through. Okay, Everett's wife is dealing with a terminal cancer diagnosis. She's not feeling well. She's going to get out and vote. Grew, are you going to vote? Yes, you you haven't already, but you will. Oh, you did already. Okay, good. Good for you. Right. Okay. No if if Everett's wife is able to get out and vote dealing with cancer, everybody can get out and vote. Nobody has an excuse not to um do that. 4147991620 Sean in Waukesha. Sean, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, I definitely uh, had an easier time than ever twice. <laughs> but I I really um, researched that. So I saw the Dalit commercials. Right. And I saw that they weren't accurate. And it motivated me actually to go out and vote uh, for the other guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, my wife and I like to research and go out. We're pretty faithful. But in Waukesha, we were number 49, whereas at the Trump and Hillary election, it went out the door. Yeah. We had no line at all uh, in our district, 18 there. So, well, you know, and it's it going to be interesting to see, Sean, because that, that kind of ties into the enthusiasm gap that I'm, I'm talking about. How many people are my, my guess is the numbers in Dane County are going to be incredibly high. Liberals are motivated. They're going to be turning out. I guess the question becomes if if turnout is low in places like Ozaki County or Washington County or Waukesha County, you know, what does that mean for the conservative candidate? And the answer is it probably it's probably bad news. So um, it'll be interesting to see where it ultimately comes down. But you were 49, you said. Yeah, number 49. And that was at 9 a.m. Right. So, like I said before, it was out the door before 8 a.m. Um, yeah. So, but I might have hit the low after well, the work too. Well, yeah, I mean, but but still, but you only, but you you were number forty nine, so that means you only had fifty people that have voted, you know, in that hour. A lot of times, people do go on their way into work. That 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 sounds like a low number to me. But thanks for call. But again, I understand 
A lot of people don't realize perhaps this is an election day, so maybe they're deciding to, to stay home and things like that. And I just, whenever we have this, I always want to have a segment to just make sure we remind people again to get out and vote. Have a note from one of our listeners. I'm on my way to vote right now because you, you, you told me to. <laughs> well, that's good. If, if I have encouraged you to get out and vote, I have partially done my job. Um, didn't tell me who they voted for. Just got done voting in Belgium. I was number 148. Um, again, it's, it's just going to depend. These, these low turnout elections, it really is which side is able to get their people motivated to get out and vote, and that's going to determine, I think, who the winner is. Um, we, we've talked about the statewide issue. There's local issues as well. I know there's some school board referendums, and in Milwaukee County, I'm going to be curious to see if uh, Chris Abley's efforts to try to pack the board with some of his supporters I'm going to be curious to see if that works or if this is just going to be another half million dollars of Abley's family money down the tubes. One oh nine, this is Jeff Wagner. So Eric, before you go. All right. Darian Driver leaving in the middle of her contract. Yes. Okay. All right, here's my history test for you. Who was the superintendent before her? Uh, yeah, Thornton? Was he the one that that went to Baltimore? Right. Do I have that name right? Is right, Gregory the, Thornton. Yeah. Right, okay, good. He was the superintendent. This is kind of like how quickly we forget. Because he was the superintendent for four years, mm-hmm. left to go to Baltimore, and got blown out in Baltimore in two. Um, all right. This is for extra credit. Who oh, was the geez. superintendent oh, before Gregory oh, Thornton? Shoot. I know it. I, I've spoken with this person before, and oh, dang it. See, this is live radio. I'll say yeah, I don't know. I don't, William Andrakopoulos. Ah, dang it! I knew that. I knew <laughs> well, it. But no, how quickly we forget because yeah. he was he was the superintendent for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the superintendent of Milwaukee for eight years. He was replaced by Gregory Thornton, who was the, who left after four years. Interestingly enough, to go to Baltimore because he said, I'm going to go to the Baltimore School District because it, it has less complex challenges, and he got blown out in two. You know, So he didn't last very long. He was replaced by Darian Driver. Um, she, what, four and a half years, but interestingly enough, leaving in the middle of her contract. Mm-hmm. She just signed a new contract a year and a half Not ago, year, so yeah. she's, she's bailing in the middle of that. So let and, me ask you this then. How do you sell this house? How do you find the next person? And I mean that. I'm not trying to be funny. What what makes this job attractive? Uh, Two hundred fifty thousand dollars okay, a year. Okay, well, that is a lot of money. You're right. No, but I mean, I know I'm not. I, this is it, 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 interestingly enough. The average. Let me ask you this: the average tenure for an urban school superintendent, school superintendent, large urban district. Would you like to guess how long it is? Not Milwaukee, but <laughs> not, no, no. Well, Milwaukee would be rolled okay, into that. I, but I, I mean, would say less than ten years. I would say less than five. Three and a half. Yeah, okay. I mean, three and a half years. This is, and, and so th- this turnover is, is not a unique thing because I, I think for a, a lot of these urban school districts, they, they whether it's Baltimore or Milwaukee or, or whatever, they, they all face the, the same challenges, um, which are, frankly, at this point in time, arguably insurmountable. I mean, yet Howard Fuller, who was, you know, back when he was the school superintendent, you know, he was kind of a reformer. He got frustrated because you, you couldn't, you know, there, there's so many different parties that are out there and so many vested interests and so much infighting that you can't get stuff done. 
Now, Andrakopoulos was kind of a bureaucrat guy. Thornton left, he said, because he was frustrated, his inability to have change. You know, Darian Driver, you know, I think it's probably the same thing. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. It apparently, did catch some people by surprise, although Ellen Borsick, who's going to be on the afternoon show with Mercure, right. said that he's not surprised by it, that there were reasons why you'd see this. She'd been getting pushback from the board. Right. She has a personal life in Detroit. She has a fiancé from Detroit. She has ties to Detroit, so some of that makes sense. Right. Well, and again, I, I think my sources were telling me this came as a complete surprise, though. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like that she was looking. Her first real bad press was this year, you know, a couple months ago, with where the raises. right she she doled out a, a bunch of raises without arguably having. It was questionable about whether she had the authority to do it or not. The the school board policies were vague, and she took it upon herself to hand out a bunch of money, and the school board ended up like changing the rules so she couldn't do it. But that was the first real bad press she had gotten. Yeah, you're but, right. You're okay, right. William Andrakopoulos, eight years. Yeah, so. that's good. No, that's no, good no. One. Well, no, I, I apologize for putting you on the no, spot. No, 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 no. But, but to the larger point that Eric was talking about, and I guess this is, th- this would be my only comment on it. I mean, Eric correctly asked the question, how do you sell the house? Who who do you who do you find to take a job like this? And my honest-to-God answer is I don't know because the truth of the matter is, the, the public education system in urban areas right now is so screwed up that I, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that any person can come in and can figure out how to make it work, especially because you have all these competing interests. Now l- let, me, let me start with the realities in, in the urban school districts. First of all, you, you've got all the family problems um, that, that don't put a priority on, on education. All right. It's not like in many cases you've got the, uh, again, the leave it to beaver type of typ- typical nuclear family where the kids are getting pushed to go to school and all that type of stuff. And there is a value seen to education. So you, you've got that. You've got the broken family type of stuff. You've got the intense poverty and all the problems that that causes. There, there's no, there, there's no question about it. You've got the, the spiraling crime rates, um, and the, the attraction. Gee. You know, why should I stay in school and work for a living when I can sell drugs and I can have the gold chains and be driving the cars? Or, you know, why should I stay in school and, you know, I I just I can't see this. What's the big picture? I want to live for the moment. I'm looking at the guy on the corner who's selling drugs or stealing cars and he who's got money. You know, why why do I where do I see my future? So you've got all those socioeconomic problems to start with. And then you've got the the infrastructure where you've got all these different competing interests. You've got, you know, in many situations, you've got a a public school um, union system where the union is out to protect the jobs of their members. And a lot of the people that come on in with reform ideas and talk about how we, we need to hold schools accountable well, the union sees that is that that's an attack on on teachers and and you know we 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 can't have these different standards because that's going to be going after the the effect is if you hold if you've got failing schools um and and you close them down or you you go to the choice movement or things like that that's going to be a problem and that's going to be an attack on our membership so you've got the union that that pretty much pushes for the status quo. Then you've got some of the politicians who say, okay, let's just throw money at it. The problem is we're not getting enough money from Madison or, or wherever. And, of course, you know, we, we've seen that just throwing money at these things doesn't work either because you look at the poor, pure, pure, 
per pupil spending, and, and that doesn't you know translate into results at all. And then you've got some of the people that think that school choice is the magic bullet. There's some school choice schools that are doing very, very well, but you're not going to see them expanded. You've got to the point where the MPS school board, which you know has heavily influenced by you know, the teachers union, because they end up getting out and vote, you know, they're, they won't allow school choice schools to open up in vacant public schools. There, there isn't a consensus as to what you can do to try to improve education. So I am I optimistic? The, the answer is no. I, I'm, I'm just not because I am old enough to have remembered. I've seen one school superintendent after another cycle through and. Um, the, the state of public education in urban areas is, is appalling, and I, I just there, there's no other way to say that. What was the high school locally that we were talking about just the other day, where almost nobody can read and almost nobody can do math at any sort of proficiency level, and yet these people are going to be ultimately sent into you know society and told to fend for themselves. I mean, it's nothing but a disgrace. I don't claim to have the answers. But, you know, when you have a superintendent coming in and next school superintendent coming in and say, I've got them, I, probably not. My, I, I don't think Darian Driver is going to go down as, I, she's not going to be a memorable superintendent. I think she's going to go down as pretty much of a, of a caretaker. Um, I do have issues with people who bail in the middle of their contracts. I mean, she, there might be all sorts of reasons, you know, why, and she's got a fiance in Detroit, and she's originally from Detroit. I, I do think, when you you know sign that contract, you you make a commitment for that period of, of time. Um, you know she worked really hard to try to get a second year, a second three year contract. She was given that, and then you ba- bail in the middle of that. I, I think that's something that you can you know fairly criticize somebody for for doing. In general, I, I don't think she's going to be remembered as a particularly influential school superintendent. But it does it does show you what the difficulty is. And now, bigger picture, look what's going on in Milwaukee. You, you now have a vacancy for the position of school superintendent. You've got an interim police chief who may or may not be the permanent police chief. Who knows? But you're supposed to get a national search for that. We've got an acting county sheriff. You know, the, the list just goes on and on and on. And I do think a lack of continuity creates a, a problem where, you know, every couple of years, let's talk about school superintendents, where every couple of years you've got somebody new coming in with their own different philosophy that they're going to try to um, bring about and having to learn who the players are. It, it's just, it's not a good situation, whether you were a fan of her or not. It's just not a good situation to have this type of turnover but candidly, she actually stayed longer than the typical tenure of an urban school superintendent, which tells you what public education in urban areas is like nowadays. It's 119. When we come back, the president says maybe take the military to the border. We'll discuss. Stick around. 122, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Baseball is back. And I want to send you to Miller Park. Be listening today uh, during the 2 o'clock hour of the program, sometime between 2 and 3, and you will have a chance to win, if you're the right caller, a four-pack of tickets to the Saturday, April 21st game between the Brewers and the Marlins. And, 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 you get a $50 gift card courtesy of our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. All right, the key to make that phone call is going to be when you hear this, this tune. 
right. This is our Welcome Back Baseball promotion. We did it last year, and I am thrilled that we are able to do it again this year. All right. Um, one of the one of the themes, for example, at, at Inside 2018, when I was talking to a number of different people, um, was the whole question of immigration, because the, the immigration system is, is just clearly a, a mess. And one of the questions I was asking, for example, the, the Republican senatorial hopefuls, I, I it kept saying, all right, where do you stand on, on the dreamers? Um, the, the background, of course, is, I think as everybody knows by now, you have about 800,000, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, People who are in this country illegally, who were brought as children into the country by their parents who came in illegally. So they've been raised in this country. In many cases, this country is all they know, but they they don't have legal status because they were brought in illegally. What do you do with them? The Obama administration issued an order saying we're going to let them stay. I think that that was an illegal order. I think most people agree that the the administration just didn't have the authority to do that by executive order by like a fiat here we're going to because we elect you know presidents we don't elect kings um it, it's really a congressional solution and president trump has of course said okay let, let's give me an immigration bill but th- they haven't been able to agree on anything because in exchange for the dreamers the trump administration wants the border wall and things it, they just haven't been able to to reach an agreement well what's What's going on now, and, and this is not a unique situation, but what is going on now is you have a what they're describing as a migrant caravan of people who are moving from Central America through Mexico headed for the U.S. border. Now, you might wonder what, you know, what, why is that a big deal? What, what's going on here? And it's because the way it works is that current U.S. policy says that if border agents catch family union, family units, so you've got a family of people who are arriving from a non-contiguous country. So in other words, you're coming from somewhere in Central America. You are moving through Mexico and you get caught at our border. Current policy says that the border agents, if they catch you, right, they are not allowed to send you away. What they do is they are supposed to arrest you and then let you go into the country. You get a court date. Oh, you are subject to deportation, but here we're going to give you a court date to to show up. And, of course... Well, large groups of the, these people, you're never going to see them again unless they get arrested for doing something or whatever. That's the policy that President Trump is railing about. Like I say, the, the word is that there's this caravan of people coming up from Central America, moving through Mexico. Mexico says that under pressure from the Trump administration, it's going to stop this caravan and um, allow some to seek asylum in the in, in Mexico um, members who are associated with the caravan says, nope, 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 this is a march to the U.S. border. We are going to storm the U.S. border. Well, today, President Trump said that you know U.S. military is going to be used to guard the U.S.-Mexico border. Here's what he says. We are going to be guarding our border with our military. We cannot have people flowing into our country illegally, disappearing, 
and by the way, never showing up for court. And that's the process I was just describing where somebody comes from somewhere, for example, in Central America, presents themselves, says, I'm seeking asylum. This is my family unit. Here I am. Here's my spouse. Here's our four kids. And instead of being turned away, you have to be taken in and then told, hey, show up in a couple of weeks for a court appearance. And, of course, you, you never end up showing up. All right. Um, the, the active U.S. military, I'm not sure, has ever been used at the border to try to shut off immigration. National Guard has been used from time to time. But President Trump is talking about using the military to guard, guard the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this an overreaction to this problem? Is this the best way to go about it? Is President Trump on the right track? Or is this just an escalation of tensions with the, here, let people come? How can you turn away family units who've traveled 15,000 miles or 1,500 miles, or whatever it would be, to, to seek freedom in the United States? Is Trump right to try to close the borders in this fashion? 414-799-1620. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a minute. It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so here's, here's what's happening. And I think when people hear the facts of this, their, their eyes do kind of sort of glaze over. Um, you, you will have large numbers of migrants from Central America who come in through the Mexican the border of, of Mexico, the southern border of Mexico. And what they do is they move through Mexico. Now, Mexico does stop a lot of people and send them back. But you have these large caravans of people. So if they're able to get through Mexico, what happens is they arrive at the United States' border. And then as Ron Johnson was talking about, they, they end up, they, they go out of the way to try to get arrested. Because if the way it works now for the United States is, if you are coming into this country illegally from a non-contiguous country, so you're not coming in from Mexico, you're coming in from, again, somewhere in Central America through Mexico, we have essentially a catch-and-release policy. Illegal immigrants are initially detained, but then they are quickly released. What happens is they come here, they say, we're seeking asylum. They're taken into custody. They do a couple, Border Patrol does a couple hours' worth of processing. They turn them over to immigration, and then immigration releases them into this country, telling them, okay, Come back for your court hearing in three weeks or whatever, and you never see them again. Now, in order to stop that, President Trump is talking about sending people, sending troops to the, the border. 414-799-1620. I, I will tell you, I, I hate the idea of the U.S.-Mexico border becoming uh, essentially a, a demilitarized zone like between North and South Korea. I, I hate that that image. Maybe the simpler solution would be to say, Let's not just release. Maybe we should just start off by changing the policy. Once the Border Patrol catches people, maybe we shouldn't just catch and release them to not make their court appearances. I guess that's where I would would start. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Phil in Juneau. Phil, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Nice talking to you. Hi, Phil. I don't understand the problem. We 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 don't need the military. The president can issue decrees such as changing tariffs. He can change regulations. These are not legislative issues. The president takes out his pen and says those rules are no longer in effect. 
our border agents gets the individuals and they take them right back. There's no legal reason for them to have right. rights. And they turn them over to immigration, and, and you turn them over to immigration, and you say to immigration, "No, we're going to we're going to hold people." Uh, until they have their hearings, and if they're claiming so that the they're fleeing persecution, right. has the authority yes. to stop this immediately. Right, and and I I agree with you. Other than to do it. See, and I I agree. I mean, thanks to God, this is where I would start off with. I mean, I'm not convinced that you need the the military at the border to to stop this. The the starting point of the problem is it's not that people aren't getting caught. Senator Johnson was talking about this earlier. You have some people that are that they'll set up, they'll come into the country illegally, they'll start fires. Uh, and by fires, I mean they'll warm themselves around campfires and stuff. They'll camp out waiting to be arrested. And in some cases, they complain that it took the border authorities so long to come catch them. Now, to me, I'm not convinced that in, in these particular instances, you, you need the military to stop people from coming in. We're catching people as they come in. The problem is the policy that then is this catch-and-release sort of policy, which says if you claim you're seeking asylum, we're going to release you uh, until you get a court date. And then, of course, you know all these people then end up not showing up. As a starting point, before you start putting the military there, maybe maybe we should concentrate on changing that policy and see whether that works. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh, Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. I think you take my call. Yes, sir. I think uh, putting military personnel, uh, deploying them to the border is a huge mistake. It's going to send the wrong signals uh, geopolitically. It wouldn't stop Mexico from doing the same thing. You're going to have to counter it. So they're going to start deploying their military personnel. I could see this escalating into a situation that could potentially be really bad between United States and, and Mexico. Well, you also, I mean, I, I'm picturing, like, again, a demilitarized zone. I mean, I, I'm picturing... I, I don't know, the old Soviet Union, you know, East Berlin and West Berlin or, you know, North and South Korea. And I, I guess I'm I, – I look, I believe that we got to shut off illegal immigration and, and we've got to stop people from coming in. I'm just not sh- convinced that we need the military to do that. Yeah, I, I think that's just too big of a stick for, for a situation that we can handle. Like you said, through policymaking and increased border security, people who are trained properly on how to handle those situations. The United States Army is, is trained to fight wars. Um, they, they do have some experience probably doing some kind of border security, right. uh, FOB security, things like that. But when it comes to that type of situation, it, it's just got so many potentials of, of a lot of things going on. Well, right. And if you wanted to do – if you had – I mean, if, if the National Guard has been called out from time to time in emergency situations, if you had a couple checkpoints – where you were concerned with the cartels, you know, bringing drugs over or something like that. I, I could see limited uses in that case. But if the problem is we want to stop the flow of people coming in illegally from these non-contiguous countries, start by changing the policy and, and then and then see if that works. And then maybe you got to move to whatever the next step is. I'm not smart enough to know what that is, but I, I would think the military would be the step of last resort. I agree, and I would be really curious to see what the ROE would be, something in a situation like that. Um, ROE overseas in, in combat zones and situations like that can be really, really difficult to understand sometimes as a soldier. So if you feel intimidated or threatened or lost personnel or equipment, how are we going to react? And we just start throwing bullets across the border to keep people from right. grabbing equipment and things like that. So it, it has a really... 
potential of going. Right, and I guess, and I'm just not, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I, I'm just not sure we're at that point where we need this. And don't send me text saying, oh, don't you realize we need to secure the border? I, I do. And I, I agree with, you know, everybody you hear saying that it's, it's almost going to, it's almost impossible to figure out, it, it, it isn't a chicken and egg thing. It, it's, you, you have to start by securing the border. Before you can deal with the question of how do we handle the people that are in this country illegally, and can we offer them, if not a path to citizenship, a path to permanent residence, you, you have to shut off the flow of people coming in illegally. No, almost no country in the world uh, has, has open borders. They, they, they just don't. Almost no country in the world has open borders because I think countries recognize that if you just allow anybody to come in, you're going to sooner or later just be overwhelmed by that flow. So you have to have some sort of regulation. And I do appreciate the argument. Shut off the flow of people coming in illegally and then take up the various other questions about, gee, what about the person that's been in this country illegally for the last 20 years and hasn't caused problems should we be able to figure out a way that that person can have a a path to permanent residency if not citizenship and you know but but that's that's something that you deal with i just don't the the idea of the military at the border i'm not sure we need that as a checkoff and again simplistically i understand it's easy we're going to put the military there and this is going to have the thing you might not need the military there let's why don't we start by allowing the border agents to catch, turn over to immigration the people that have come in illegally, and then allowing immigration to keep them instead of turning them loose for court hearings that they'll never show up at. Jeff in Waterford. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. It's 144. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, here you have, you, ever since Scott Walker took over, there's been a hearty band of lefties who have devoted most of their lives to just trying to show up and protest Scott Walker. And that, that's fine if that's how you want to spend your life. I, I guess there's perhaps... While there's lots more productive things you could be doing, I guess there are worse sort of things. So what happens a while back is you have a guy, one of these protesters, who has, he's got a permit to display signs in the state capitol. Um, I, I don't, actually, I don't understand why it is that we, we allow that. I understand the capitol is a public building, but... I don't understand why it is that you should be able to just put your stuff up on the walls of, of the Capitol, just like I don't think you should be able to do that at the courthouse, whether it's federal or, or not. But, okay, we allow people to put their various protest signs up on 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 the walls of, of the Capitol. So what happens is that you have you know State Representative Dale Cuyenga who takes down the sign, all right, takes down the sign and takes it to his office. All right, the guy who put this up says, my sign was stolen, you know, this is terrible, my sign was stolen, um, and then, you know, they do an investigation, and it determ- it's determined that, you know, Kuyunga is the one who who did this, and he, he shouldn't have taken down this protest sign that was put up 
you know, last May. The sign criticized Republican President Trump as being corrupt and a serial groper. It said Republicans back the president. We the people be damned. Okay, so um, the guy, Kuyungit, took it down, should not have done it. He said he took it down because he thought it was um, inappropriate. Um, But, all right, he shouldn't have taken it down. Got it. So what happens is the guy whose sign was taken down um, sues, sues the state, saying that, you know, his his rights were violated, his First Amendment rights were violated by this. Okay, all right, taken down. And I think because they give permits and to allow people to put signs up over the Capitol, which, as I was saying a few minutes ago, just boggles my mind. But this is, of course, Madison, and this is how we operate all right, shouldn't have been taken down. So the state representative is, is in is in the wrong here. No question uh, about this. So there is a lawsuit, and as a matter of fact, um, you know there's there's a lawsuit that comes here. The reports are the lawsuit has been settled. All right, now Gru, who's producing the show today and always, you're not familiar with the story, are you? You haven't seen this one? Okay, all right. So so here's the deal. Guy puts up this handmade poster. At the Capitol. He's got a permit to do it. The state representative takes it down, brings it to his office. Okay? All right? Capitol Police determine the state representative did it. They retrieve the sign. They give it back to the guy. All right? Shouldn't have been taken down in the first place. What should, in your mind, all right, it shouldn't have been taken down. What do you think the person whose sign was taken down should be entitled to. Oh, well, don't get it. I just, I mean, just, I mean, fi- he should be invited, about to put it back up. Right, right, right. Um, all right, but there, obviously there's some money damages involved here. Um, $5, $10, $100, $1,000, million. You know, what, what, what do you think it's worth? They took it, he took down the guy's sign. They were wrong. What do you think it should be? Get him a lunch. Give him a lunch. Right. Okay. $30,000. Right. Wisconsin taxpayers to pay $30,000 to settle lawsuit after the representative took down a protester sign. Now, my guess is part of that wraps in the, the legal fees and all. $30,000. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This and again, this is going to roll in legal fees. I'm sure it is ridiculous, in my opinion, that thirty thousand dollars would be paid out for this type of thing. Was there a damage? Yeah, he shouldn't have taken down the sign. Okay, you give him back the sign. You put the sign back up on the wall. And as far as however much of this is going to go to attorney fees, give me a break. And this is, I think, in part. Why maybe you need to take a look at the entire law, which talks about, you know, how much you can recover for things like this and how much the lawyers can get. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This was a civil rights lawsuit. The man's civil rights were violated by having the poster torn down. Should, should he have gotten the poster back? Absolutely. Should the representative have done this? No, he shouldn't have. Should they have put the poster back up on the wall? Yeah, I guess since they allow them. But thirty grand for this? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. 
we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 153. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Talk about winning the legal lottery. 30 grand because the state representative pulls the guy's poster off the wall of the Capitol, where it probably shouldn't have been in the first place, but we let people put crap up on the walls of the Capitol. And then 30 grand, I'm sure a lot of that is going to be legal fees because under the law, you can bring a lawsuit, and if you win, you collect legal fees. That's where it should start. It should start by changing the law to essentially not allow the lawyers who quote unquote win to be able to collect their fees. It should, you know, any money you get should come out of, uh, again, whatever settlement it would be. But $30,000 because the guy pulled his poster off the wall. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Hey, my, my thoughts, it's, it's just ridiculous. This guy should get like 50 bucks or 100 bucks, get a sign back. And uh, use that thirty grand to keep the state treasurer job open for like a part-time job for the year. Well, I, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of like where, where do and I, look, I I understand. Oh, thanks for calling, Mike. I mean, I I understand that this is a settlement, and it, it's like so many of these things that what happens is you sit there and you make the judgment. You say, all right, we can continue to fight this. Meanwhile, you know, we're perhaps going to be on the hook for attorneys' fees again, which is why I think the law desperately needs to be changed. Um, to, to say that, okay, if you're going to sue, you pay for your own party, you pay for your own lawyer, and you don't get to necessarily have the taxpayers, in this case, you know, shell out the attorney's fees that would come there. But, I mean, so what? what's really, objectively, what's the guy's damages? All right, should the representative have done this? No, he should not have. What, what are the damages? The sign is taken down for a little bit. It's a handmade sign, 100 bucks. All right, let's say you want to put in a deterrent, to make sure that people don't do this again. All right, so you put in a little bit of a penalty, 500 bucks tops, $30,000. Huh. It's 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, what happened in Wisconsin in 2011 is sort of playing out in, in Kentucky, of all places today, it's a very, very interesting story. You might have heard about a, a couple a couple state teachers groups, and in some states, apparently, the, the teachers are state employees. In, in Oklahoma, there was a teacher strike. Um, no, I'm sorry. Um, you, you had the teacher strike in West Virginia a couple weeks ago that resulted in, in pay raises. In Oklahoma, you've got a teacher strike that's going on now. Teachers say that they underpay. Well, okay, fine. There's something interesting, though, going on in Kentucky. Um, teachers, right now, this week is spring break for most school districts in Kentucky, but there are a handful where it, it isn't. You have teachers that are flooding the state capitol, trying to take over the state capitol to show how upset they are at the way they are being treated by Kentucky legislators. It's not over salary. It's sort of a replay of Act 10. Here's here's what's going on. In Kentucky, the state employee's pension fund is underfunded by $40 billion. All right? $40 billion. It is underfunded. And you have a number of legislators and the governor um, who are saying that this, this can't go on. Because you, you can't continue to start rolling up things on, on charge cards and things of the like. We, you know, it, it's, it, if something doesn't happen soon, 
what you're going to be looking at is either, number one, massive tax increases or a substantial rollback in in pension benefits, maybe even a default. So what they're trying to do is be proactive and change it. So here's what the legislature did in Kentucky. And it's interesting because the headlines in the local paper down there, all 120 county school districts close in Kentucky as teachers rally against bill that would hurt their pensions. Huh. Okay, so I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. What? What's it going to do to pensions? Because as a general rule, the, the law is that once a pension benefit has been given, it, it can't be taken back. So I'm kind of curious about, all right, what, what does this do? Well, what the bill that they passed in Kentucky, which has generated all this controversy, does to current people in the pension system, with the exception I'll talk about in just a minute, is nothing. If you are a currently a teacher, and you are in the state pension system, this pension system that is underfunded by $40 billion, you can continue to participate in it. It doesn't change anything for you, with the exception of the fact that, you know, later on this year, any unused sick time that you accrue, like, after the middle of the year, you can't apply that and use that to enhance your retirement benefit. Because apparently one of the benefits you have is that if you have sick days accumulated, you can, in not, instead of taking them, you can cash them in and you can qualify for more pension, you know, more, more benefits, you know, at retirement. This would stop that practice, but it wouldn't take anything away. And in addition, if you are in the pension system, with the exception, I said, of being able to catch in, catch in future sick days, you continue to be in the, in the system. So in other words, nothing changes. What did the legislation do? Well, it says moving forward, new people that are hired aren't going to be able to participate in this underfunded, financially underwater pension system. And instead, they're going to have to participate in what is essentially, it's a cash balance plan, which is like a 401k plan. So, you know, this district would, you'd be able to save money yourself tax-free. The district would put money in, but moving forward, new hires would have a less generous pension system. But the governor and the legislature, or at least the majority of the legislature, says we have to do this because the system right now is just unsustainable. So what we're going to do is we're not going to punish the people that are in the system now. You're going to continue to be able to accrue benefits. Nothing changes for you. But for the next generation coming forward, yeah, it's going to be a different dynamic. And that has resulted in literally a a takeover of the Kentucky State Capitol. People complaining about, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. We are outraged because you're changing the pension system. Well, you're not changing the pension system for anybody that's in it. You're changing it for new hires in an effort to potentially try to preserve the pension system for the people who are in it. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I think, and, and you have this happen. You had it happen in Wisconsin in 2011 and 2012. I, I think that especially among some public employees, 
there is just this cluelessness as to how the real world works. And this idea that just because something has been this way at one point in time means that it's always going to be that way moving forward, it, it's just not reasonable. And I think whether it's businesses or whether it's governments, you have to recognize that just doing stuff the way you used to do it isn't always going to make sense. And candidly, I mean, for people who are saying, okay, for new hires, you're going to be under a different pension system. Well, my advice to the public employees in Kentucky would be the teachers in Kentucky, welcome to the real world. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 216 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 218 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When I started working for Journal Broadcast Group, which is what we used to be before we were taken over by Scripps three years ago, um, I, at the very beginning when I started, Journal Broadcast, and actually Journal Communications, which was the overall thing, had a pension plan. And if you worked, um, you know, you... There were stories about people who worked in the presses, for example, you know, retiring after a career and, and, and being essentially millionaires. Very, very cool, right? It also cost a ton of money. So four or five years into when I was working at Journal, they did away, they couldn't afford it. They did away with the, the old pension plan. So I have like four or five years credit. When I turn 65, I can get a small amount of money every month from this, this pension plan. But but it was unsustainable moving forward. And what they did is they switched over to a 401k plan and you were able to save money and there was a company match and 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 it's fine and I put away a bunch of money and you know built up a decent nest egg in that particular account. But is it as good as that pension plan was? No, but the company couldn't afford to do it. Um, that's the traditional sort of pension plan has gone the way of the dinosaur. Um, 40 years ago, lots of people, you'd work for the same company for your entire life, and you could retire, you would have the pension plan. That doesn't exist in the private sector in many places. Some unionized shops still have it, but very few. And in, in government, it still does exist to an extent. But more and more governments are saying, look, we, we have these unfunded liabilities. In Kentucky, the pension is the pension fund is forty billion dollars underfunded, and you've got legislators who are saying we we got to do something about this. And unless you're going to have either substantial cutbacks in benefits or you're going to have massive tax increases, what we need to do is we need to make a change. So what they're saying is here's what we're doing. All right, for new teachers, new people in the system, you're going to be part of like the equivalent of this four hundred one k system. For, old, for people who are currently in the pension system, no problem. It's going to continue with that one exception I talked about to, to, to do your set. But new people coming in are going to be treated differently. And for that, you, you've got a takeover of the Kentucky State Capitol. Really. Dave on the south side. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, uh, you don't have kids, though. See, people are sticking up now for the next generation that aren't having pensions and aren't having the same life they had. So that, that's the difference. And in government, it, it could happen with changes. It could still happen. Pensions could still happen with changes. Uh, if people are willing to do it that way, yeah. It, the, the pension, the fund, it's $40 billion underfunded. That money, and, and it's getting worse every day. How can you continue to just do that? Because soon it's going to be $60 billion and then $100 billion. Um, isn't it irresponsible to just keep doing that? 
You can find new ways of funding, though, Jeff. Well, we can't, what you mean is increase your taxes. Yes. Okay, well, I, think, well, I mean, I guess that, right, that there's no new ways of funding it. What, what you could do is you could say, all right, here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to expect all the other people who live in Kentucky, you've got to come up in addition to all the other revenue that we are raising from you. And it's just all the other tax and expenses. Um, this pension fund is $40 billion underfunded, so we want to increase your taxes by $40 billion. Plus, it's going to continue to get worse as more people get in, so we're going to have to increase it there. Well, yeah, I guess that that's always, I guess, the other option that you can try to get $40 billion from this underfunded pension system. But I, I would think that most people would believe that that would be a political non-starter. Look, I guess here's the reality of this. The, the modern world is that we're, we're more and more dependent on you have to take responsibility for your, your own lives and that these 401ks or the cash balance plans or whatever, that, that's the way it goes nowadays for most people. And is it as good as it was when my grandfather retired from Standard Oil of New Jersey in you know 1959 or whatever? No, it's not. But it's not 1959 anymore. It's 2018. And this is kind of the reality. And I do think that sometimes there's a there's this like this cluelessness that's there. Kentucky is dealing with a very, very real situation, which is a huge deficit. And they're trying to figure out how do we manage the current employees and we're going to live up to our obligations we've given to them. But at the same time, you know, moving forward, we're going to have to change it. And, and yeah, I guess if you're coming into the system at 25 years old and you understand this is the deal and you got the 401k plan, you're going to have to take money out and put money into that and you get the tax break and there's going to be a bit of a match. As long as you understand that going in, I don't think that is an unreasonable thing. It's 224. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 2.34, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we have our winner for our Welcome Back Baseball contest today. Um, keep listening for the balance of this week during the 2 to 3 o'clock hour. Between 2 and 3, we'll be giving away another four-pack of tickets to see the uh, Brewers play the Marlins April 21st. Somebody sent me a note and said that's Marvel Night. You know, that's the, I, they, that, which is like the Marvel Comics thing. I don't know what that's all about, but that's April 21st. And also a $50 gift card courtesy of our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. A local woman dies, then her obituary takes some pointed swipes at local and national politicians, appropriate or tacky. John McCure, he's going to take your calls. 4.50 today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. I wonder, can it be appropriate and tacky at the same time? The answer is yes. I mean, it, it, it could be, that's one of those things where, yeah, it's deserved, but nevertheless, it's kind of tacky. It, it can be both of those things. A number of people are sending me various communications saying, all right, we're thinking about going out to vote today, which you should. Um, and you know, we've already talked about the Supreme Court race where you have the conservative candidate, Mike Skrenek, who's up against Sort of a headwind, including the fact that you have all these national, these liberal elites from all over the country who've decided to target Wisconsin, swoop in with advertising and endorsements and all in an effort to try to elect the liberal candidate, Rebecca Dallet, to the state Supreme Court. I don't know how this race is going to turn out. I, I, I just don't. But it's all going to depend on who gets out and votes. So that's a race. number of people are asking me about the state treasurer's uh, position. There's a referendum as to whether or not you should do away with the the position of state treasurer. The current state treasurer, 
says, yes, this this job should should go. Um, the, the state people are asking me, how should you vote? Well, I, I'm. I will tell you how I voted. I voted yes that that the um, you should do away with the office. Um, this trend, in my opinion, now I understand. There's again, it's these lefty advocacy groups who are out there. Don't let Scott Walker take over the state treasurer's office. That's that, that's the kind of thing. The evil Scott Walker. Well, I, I mean, the, the the treasurer really does nothing anymore. It used to be the treasurer's office used to be in charge of managing the state's unclaimed property refunds. You know, so once a year you'd see that big newspaper supplement and you'd look through it to see if your name was there and see if you had any money coming back. Well, that program is now run by the Department of of Revenue. Um, the the treasurer had been in charge of managing EdVest, Wisconsin's college savings program. Well, the Department of Administration has been running that for years and years. It really it, it does. It does nothing. I, I'm not sure. There's the treasurer. There might be one employee in the office. I'm not even positive about um, that. But candidly, I guess you can decide. But I voted yes. Get rid of the office. I, I don't think it makes any sense to have it there. All right, Chuck Todd. I don't know if you know who Chuck Todd is. He is the um, liberal pollster who now hosts um, Meet the Press. So you, you see him, he's got it with the goatee, you know, you see him, you know, offering his type of commentary. All right. Now, Good Friday, let's back up. Um, some people think of, of Christmas as as being, I don't know, sort of the, the holiest day of the year, the birth of Christ, if you believe. Um, actually, you know, Easter weekend, I, I think, is, is generally recognized as being, um, for devout Christians, that that is the holiest time of the year. Good Friday, of course, is the... The, the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ. And, you know, Easter is viewed as his resurrection. And, and that, that time from Good Friday till Easter is, is viewed by Christians as the, the triumph of good over evil. And I guess I, I understand that I'm summarizing this a little bit, but, but it is a, a very, very, for people who, for Christians who believe it is a very, very devout time, all right? So in Good Friday, very, very big deal. Well, the Meet the Press host, Chuck Todd, takes to Twitter last week in advance of Good Friday, and this is what he feels compelled to tweet out. I'm a bit hokey when it comes to, quote, Good Friday, end quote. I don't mean disrespect to the religious aspect of the day, But I love the idea of reminding folks that any day can become quote-unquote good. All it takes is a little selflessness on our part. Works every time, in capital letters. So he says, I don't mean to disrespect the religious aspect of the day. I'm a bit hokey when it comes to Good Friday. Of course, you know, you're talking about Good Friday being the day of Jesus' crucifixion. Um considered to be the ultimate victory of good over evil. And he says, I don't mean to be a little bit hokey about this, and I, I don't mean to disrespect people who believe. Well, I don't know. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Quite candidly, I, I, I do think that this is extremely disrespectful, and, and I think it clearly is intended to you know, mock Christianity. And I think it is another example about how the media elite just don't get it. 
and how this is just another, I, I guess, sort of subtle example of kind of, I, I don't know, mocking Christianity and dissing Christians. I, I can't imagine saying something like this about another religion. But Chuck Todd says, well, I'm a little bit hokey when it comes to Good Friday. Really? I mean, what would compel you to even go down this particular route? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. It's 241. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Some people get it. Here's a tweet. Imagine, hey, Chuck, um, imagine if I said, hey, I'm a little hokey on this Ramadan thing, but I love the idea of month-long fasting. Think what it will do for our nationwide cholesterol levels. Really cool, right? Um, Andrew says, uh, how about this? I'm a little bit hokey about Women's History Month. Every month can be Women's History Month if we all just realize that history includes everyone. I mean, why would you even wade into something like this if you weren't this clueless liberal elite like Chuck Todd or like Joy Behar who feels that, okay, you can say this clueless stuff about Christianity and not have any consequences? Oh, that's because um, when it comes to the NBCs of the world, you can say clueless stuff about Christianity and not have any consequences. Bob in Wauwatosa. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. I was thinking, what would happen if Donald Trump had tweeted this? Wouldn't they say he was clueless and lacking in all class? Um. Oh, yes. If Donald Trump had tweeted something like this, and people's heads would have been absolutely exploding. I'm a little bit hokey about, you know, this Good Friday thing. And you're right. People would be saying, don't you understand what Good Friday really means? And, and yes, you should be good on every day. But that's not what Good Friday is all about. You know, and, and the other thing is, and I believe this is correct, Good Friday comes from you know, the Middle English God's Friday, just like goodbye comes from God be with you. Right. And it, it has nothing to do with good etym- etymologically. Well, well right. Th- thanks. For, well, I mean, again, and that's right. Like Good Friday, again, this is you, you know, I'm a little bit hokey about Good Friday. I mean, that again, that shows you this cluelessness that you have that you don't even appreciate that this is for believers, for Christians. This is the holiest time of the year, and you're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which is meant to symbolize and, again, represents the victory of good versus evil and the resurrection. And I'm a little bit hokey about this. I don't get this kind of Good Friday stuff. Really? And you put that in a tweet, for God's sake. But, again, it's because there's nobody around. This is just that that mindset, that kind of anti-Christianity mindset that just infects so much of the elites that are part of the liberal power structure, the liberal media structure out there, and it's like, well, I don't, I don't get this. I'm, I'm kind of hokey about this. Really? You're kind of hokey about it? Laura in Waukesha. Laura, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, well, my thought was that, um, to quote Jesus' words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, as he hung on the cross. And so I think Chuck Todd, um, he has a great platform to speak the truth, but he's speaking negative, and it's because he doesn't know. He doesn't know why Jesus came, um, why he went to the cross, what he accomplished on the cross, and um, we need to pray for him, that the blinders are removed. Right, um, right, because he doesn't know what he does. Yeah, that's right. a, no, thanks for I mean, I just, again, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, why, why would you gratuitously do this? You had Joy Behar not that long ago 
who who decided to you know take the gratuitous shots against you know Vice President Mike Pence. It, it's just it, it's it's just amazing that this happens. Okay, we've only got a couple minutes left in the show. I, I did want to I did want to comment on on something that happened um, on Sunday. Um, I if you are a regular listener of this program, you you know that I am a huge fan of pop culture, and I I grew up going to movies and watching movies and I, I'm just, I'm a huge fan of television. I, I'm one of, I'm a creation of the, the TV culture. I'm baby boomer in that regard. And I've seen a lot of TV series has come and go. And there, there is a predictability to TV shows and, and a lot of them, a lot of them come and go without, yeah, I kind of like that character. I didn't like that or whatever. Every once in a while, there are shows which are transformative and they, they spring up from the, the minds of the producers. I I could make a strong argument that, like in my opinion, I think the best TV show ever could very well have been Hill Street Blues. It, it's definitely one of the top two or three in in, in my mind. Um, to me, it was just absolutely transformative. You know, Hill Street Blues was set in this you know gritty urban police station and. And some of it was a bit contrived, but it showed the everyday lives of cops and the precinct commander and uh, the public defenders and stuff. And, and again, there was a dramatic effect of it, but it, it was revolutionary. It started with like a roll call where you had, you know, all the cops that were sitting around eating donuts or whatever or some not. And, you know, there was this discussion. I mean, there was the the filming was just incredible. I was a huge fan of Hill Street Blues, and I believe that without Hill Street Blues, there wouldn't have been a lot of the great TV that that came afterward. I, I think it was just groundbreaking. I don't think there would have been a Sopranos without Hill Street Blues. There wouldn't have been, um, you know, um, well, just a, a lot of the other stuff that was there. Um, and and the person that was responsible for putting Hill Street Blues together was a guy named uh, Stephen Bochco, who was television writer and producer. Um, he, he did a number of things. First there was Hill Street Blues, and then there was L.A. Law, and then there was all sorts of other things after that. But, I mean, Hill Street Blues, I think, again, was transformative. Stephen Bochco, who was the creator and the producer of that, he passed away, um, uh, he passed away at the age of 74 on, on Easter Sunday. And um, admittedly, some people would look at kind of some of the stuff that he did and think it, it kind of it sort of pushed the envelope. Um, you know, he he did NYPD Blue as well, which was, I guess, a kind of a follow up on a different station, admittedly, but a follow up to Hill Street Blues, um, you know, and stuff like that led the way for dramas like ER. He wasn't involved in ER or things like that, but it was one of these transformative moments. And, and the guy was a real visionary when it comes to that. And I, I just, you know, we, we talk a lot about television and we talk a lot about the good things on TV and the bad things on TV. But every once in a while, you get the transformative stuff. And you've seen that. The Sopranos was transformative. The Wire on HBO was a transformative type of show that is moving forward and affecting things. Breaking Bad was a transformative show. But, you know, w- without Hill Street Blues and L.A. Law and St. Elsewhere that he was also involved with, which is a TV show that a lot of people don't remember, but I, I just thought it was an absolute great one, a lot of those shows that we've enjoyed wouldn't be there. And that's why, you know, Stephen Bochco was responsible for that. And um, 74 years old, way, way, way too soon, way, way, way too soon. But um, he certainly leaves a significant 
legacy behind him. Oh, by the way, speaking of TV, the Roseanne show, again, I, I don't know if it's a flash in the pan or whether it's going to be long lasting or what they're going to do. But the Roseanne show, the reboot that aired, you know, last week to huge ratings in part as a recognition that the Hollywood elite have kind of left behind flyover country. So they bring Roseanne back as a, as a Trump supporter. Ratings were huge, like 20 some million by the, at the end of the day had ended up watching, you know, that show. Um, ABC so thrilled with the success of that that they automatically renewed it for a, a second season. Now, you know, will it sustain that? Will they keep that edge? Will that continue to be the approach? Don't know. But I think, again, it does show that when it comes to the mainstream entertainment media, at least, there's now at least starting to be, or at least there should be a recognition that a lot of this stuff, oh, we've got to hate Trump, we've got to mock Republicans, everybody that voted for Trump or everybody that supports a lot of Republican initiatives is a Neanderthal and they're stupid, and we're the liberal elite and we know better. Well, I think some of the stuff that's going on maybe calls that into question, and you saw that with the ratings of the Roseanne show. I'm not a huge fan of Roseanne Barr, um, but I thought the show was kind of funny. But I think the bigger point is it reflects this recognition that there's a lot of mainstream America that has been left behind by the liberal elites on each coast. Go figure. It's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what Melissa Barkley, John McCure, Greg Matzik have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.